And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So what's an MVP? Is it the most valuable player? Not in the world of startups. In the world of startups, MVP is often referred to as minimum viable product. There's other iterations. Sometimes I find myself calling it a minimally viable product. It's all the same thing. But really, in the end, it's a great place to start. It's a mentality and an approach to developing software, developing products that many, many, many success stories have begun with. That's what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we get into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. You need to build an MVP. You already got an MVP. Let us help. We're going to help you scale your team up and help you do it quickly and affordably. With me today, I've got Marcelo Russo. Marce Marcelo is the COO and creative technologist at QRoom. You want to learn more about QRoom, go to qroom.biz. They're straight out of Miami, Florida. Once again, QRoom is a team of entrepreneurs and tech experts in Miami that provides complete turnkey solutions for those looking to turn mobile app dreams into reality. Marcelo, welcome to Startup Hustle. Matt, thank you very much. Super happy for being here. Yeah, and it, uh, you know, I like to say no one tells a story better than COOs, CEOs, founders, and the people that make it happen. So why don't you give us a little bit of backstory about you and QRoom? Absolutely. Um, QRoom is a very interesting, and I think it's going to be a great topic for our conversation about MVP. We started about 10 years ago in Argentina, where I'm originally from, and with my co-founder, with my first co-founder, we started working as a software a software factory, very traditional model, um, building products and software for other people. And slowly but surely, we moved into a creative agency. We added some creative talents and we pivoted that, embracing the needs of our customers. And I would say after I moved into the U.S. and discovered the wonders that this country has to offer and the super, super broad ecosystem of entrepreneurs, we moved into creative technologies where there's this beautiful, amazing blend of creating awesome products that stand out, um, that they are really the unicorns. And I think that's where we are right now. We will see what the well, market says in a few years. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a whole lot to be said about making people's dreams come true. I find that I consider myself to be a creative person. And I know that that a lot of people don't. And, you know, just mean not not a lot of people don't think I'm creative. A lot of people don't think they, that they are creative. And that's a big obstacle to overcome, especially when building something from scratch. So I think most most of the times people in general, they look at anything they look at and they assume that it was always what it was. And 
I think the reality is most things, even the greatest things that you're aware of or the things that you use every day, usually started probably looking like crap. Um, you know, rickety held together with popsicle sticks and string and Elmer's glue and stuff like that. And, and look, people don't, uh, don't begin to think that some of the greatest products you experience and some of the greatest software and some of the greatest technology also wasn't held together with popsicle strings and Elmer's glue. And that's really in many ways, what a minimum viable product is now. Uh, I told you before I hit record that I actually have begun to abandon the term MVP for MLP, minimum lovable product. And, uh, you know, whether you want to call it an MVP, and I believe you have a term for it as well. What was that? Yeah, I mean, we we call it the minimum awesome product. And I like that it says MAP because that's actually <laughs> maybe a better acronym because... That's exactly what you're trying to create with an MVP, an MAP, whatever we want to say, with your with your very first thing. So when you think about and what is an MVP, what comes to mind? So there, I, I will separate it in two parts. Like for for me personally, when when I'm when I'm thinking of MVPs, I'm thinking of that minimum minimum thing that will validate that I'm in the right path. That first step on the set of stairs. A flight of stairs, um, and and I've seen it time and again that the more I get get my head around that, as you were saying, right, the, the the product that looks perfect, that feels perfect, that has all the features that you want, it really took several MVPs. Each function, each feature has carefully been built towards getting to the point that we know them today. So I try to put my ego aside, to put my fears aside, and I think. This is the minimum thing that I need to know to see if this is going to work. Um, yeah, and, and, and well, you're yeah. putting this stuff out there to try to get public validation and feedback. And, and you know, that's the main thing. I, I, there's been so many quotes from uber famous people that, uh, that basically say, if you don't look back at your very first release with total fear later, then you hung on to it too long. Yeah, and and and... People, people sometimes, uh, what I've seen, being from Latin America, there's a lot of getting things done really fast and cheaply. Um, you are using the term, you know, with uh, popsicle sticks. Um, so <laughs> we, we are very, very accustomed to it. It's like we, we say, you know, we put it together with duct tape or something. Um, and the reality ends up being that that's the way that it works on the first time. Um, but coming from a creative point of view for us, we also hear a lot of people that under underestimate the the necessity of making it look functional of of having a hypothetical user experience to validate um, i think that one of the mvps that will always be a fantastic way of doing it is when you tick many boxes at the same time of different areas like it's not only you know validating mm -hmm. that the product will reach market fit eventually um, but also that it looks the way that the people are expecting and that it behaves the way that people would be expecting. And they are all different areas, right? That it's feasible for marketing, that it's feasible for the sales team. And depending on where you're going, right, all of the users need to get at least one validation. I think that Eric Rice is one of the, the people that say it best, right, with the term of validating each hypothesis. Well, you don't need 10 hypotheses on the same area, but you do need to try to run as many different area hypothesis at the same time as possible.
And I think that's what sets apart a good MVP. Yeah, and you're referencing uh, Eric, Eric Reese, the author of Lean Startup, I believe. Um, kind of a funny story if we're talking about MVPs. I, I released uh, my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, the same week that came out. So I hit number one in every other category, but startups. Um, <laughs> Competing with the, start, the startup <laughs> guy, yeah, I kind of launched that. So, so my MVP of a book, uh, yeah, that was, that was, I always think that's funny. I sent Eric a note about that. So you got to kind of chuckle it and laugh at yourself in one regards. People said that to me, they're like, how come your book was in all these number one and rose to number one in all these categories, except for startups, aren't you a startup guy? I'm like, yeah, but when the, the startup guy releases a book about it, that's a, that's a problem. So, okay. So when you release your, your first release, you get it out there. Um, you know, there's a couple of things and, and I want to put this in context. So I think a lot of people are terrified to put these first things out and they say, well, I don't want everyone to see it. And it looks like crap. If you're, if whatever you're building is going to get really, really big, that first uh, layer or level of people that are going to see it are going to end up being like a fraction, like 0.01% of total users. So no one's going to care. It's like, you know, a few people in there, if it makes you feel better, uh, put a beta label on it or something. Now, when you, uh, the importance is you want to get feedback and you mentioned something about ego in the beginning. Uh, ego is tough for us as entrepreneurs and founders because I mean, we're right all the time, aren't we? We always have the, have the next the, the next best thing and we know all of it. So why do we need feedback? But really in the end, you're right. You do have to put your ego in check and start listening. And with that, I like to listen for the echo. Um, you can't chase every single bit of feedback that someone gives you. But when it starts to sound like an echo and you get the same feedback over and over and over and over again, well, they might be onto something. Is that something that you look for as well? Or is there something else that really that, that you look for to stand out in that first release? I'm actually going to steal the term, listen for the echo. <laughs> it's uh. really, really good. Um, uh, a fantastic analogy to, to exactly what needs to happen, right? It's like you, the first part is like, you, you're, you're correct with, the, with the, the analysis that the entrepreneur is always looking for their own validation. Like we know best, we are the best. And that's why we have the grit and the resilience um, to overcome failures and overcome negative feedback. Um, but there's a, there's a moment where we need to go from we are the best to we need to listen to our audience. And that's the echo moment. Normally, I prefer relying on data and if I don't have the capacity or the company is already trying to do something nationwide or sometimes even statewide with, you know, being a solo founder or something, um, I try to make sure that I look at the analytics, I put a heat map, I see how people are using uh, each and every portion of the application um, and when possible, have an interview face to face. And, and that's where I, I check for the echo validating those first iterations and, and showing the speed of an MVP iteration, I think that's that's your that's what make makes it stand stand out. It's not gonna be doing it right the first time. It's being nimble to keep improving fast. Yeah, and one of the key, when you mentioned nimble and fast, so uh, I've been, uh, over the last few years, I've had this fascination with what makes people uh, considered to be a genius. And there's, you know, about two dozen traits that that most, quote, geniuses have, but one of them 
is that they're not a fast, they're not afraid to move fast and break things. And you're going to end up shattering every bit of your first iteration. Like two, if you make it two years, you'll find that, that very little of your original creation will still exist because you will have redone it, replaced it, whatever. So move fast and get in there. But the key thing is, is especially if, you know, anytime you start a new business or a new venture, resources are at a premium. So you want to get that out and get that feedback in there fast and not spend time, energy, emotion, money, all of it, building stuff that people aren't going to end up using. I've made this mistake before. I was like, I did it with Gigabook, one of the software platforms I'm the founder of. And um, you know, I just, we built, we overbuilt it and we didn't want to release it. Didn't want to release it. Didn't want to promote it. Cause we're like, it has this shortcoming. It has this shortcoming. Look, eight years later, I realized there's always shortcomings. There's, there's, I I've just come to the, there's no such thing as a business without problems. And there's no such thing as software without bugs. Those are the two things that I've learned in over a decade of being an entrepreneur, but those are, you know, so, so with that, I hope to give some of you confidence now, meaning like put it out there, it's just better to put it out there. There's also something refreshing about it. And then if you're trying to raise capital, having anything that looks tangible is way easier to get investors to rally around than having nothing and an idea on a piece of paper. Now you mentioned uh, talking about data and looking for certain things. Let's be a little more specific about that. What are some of the data points that you think are important that people measure? And and feel free to shape it around. I know you guys are more in the in the uh, mobile app development. So if that's if that's the context that makes sense, I'll maybe add some other stuff behind it. But what are what are the data points that you you really look for? I know you mentioned a heat map. Um, I would imagine another one would be like engagement or, you know, if they actually come back and use it again. But yeah, and I think that there are there are different level of of the indicators or KPIs that you can look into um, depending on your application, right? Uh, I mean if you're if you're doing a game and your hypothesis is that a game needs to be played and, and you design it to to look for people playing it a couple minutes or several minutes, you'll you'll need to 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 look for not only the retention uh, of having people coming back, but actually getting the experience that you have your hypothesis in. And installs, of course, normally is one of those that inter, uh, that VCs really care, right? Monthly growth. Uh, returning users, um, customer acquisitions. So tracking all of the channels of your end-to-end sales pipeline um, from where you are doing the, what's the cost of acquisition per channel, um, rate of installs, rate of uninstalls, um, those churn rates are going to always be really, really important. Um, and But in the early stage, the early stage you're trying to validate a particular hypothesis um, there are a lot of tools in in, mobile, in the mobile industry that give you already KPIs that are built out. My suggestion is always start fresh at the beginning. Grab your Google Analytics, make sure that you put it there, make sure that you create the events that you need to create, and build it from there. You'll get the time to implement something more specific, more powerful. Once you are in in the next phases of your, whether you're in your pre-seed, seed A, uh, round A or whatever, you'll you'll get it, you'll get the time and the money to to invest in that. But you won't you won't be able to make that step if you don't know your 
how are you explaining with data the validation of your hypothesis? So if we pause for a moment and examine the why of what Marcella just said, I mean, really the, the, what you're wanting to do is cultivate all that. Like we, I mentioned earlier, you're listening for the echo, but it's so you can begin to develop your product roadmap and determine what improvements are worth making. Because here's the thing is you have to, you know, when it comes to all this stuff, like your, your why is you're building it for your users, not for yourself. So if you're building something that they don't want or they don't like, you are you're just you're headed in the wrong direction. And and that's very powerful and very true. Um, and that's that's part of the ego that we were talking before, right? It's like you you had the idea, you love your idea, but the the people that really need to love it and really need to you need to be listening is your users. That's where your pivot comes. That's where your returning users will come, and so on. And Sometimes, if we all remember the story of Facebook, it started as FaceMash. So it's pretty far away from the social media mogul that is right now, and that empire of communication. Um, so you need to listen to the people. And however many years you can keep on the ground, keep close to your application, it's hard. It's hard. I know the fear of the entrepreneurs when they, they see the metric not going up as they expect when the user experience is not being followed exactly as they designed it. And, and you see their entire team seeing that, that number, that line, that drop off. Um, but that's okay. That that's what you're expecting to see from that friction and from that pain. That's where the iteration will come. And it's not that anybody is less intelligent because of that It's maybe the user base that you were thinking looks like a particular way it doesn't and user personas are one of those fantastic tools to map all of those ideas yeah and that's where the data will surprise you sometimes because i've done this myself you're like oh i think we're going to get this and that's going to be when you say user data that's going to be age income uh industry things like that. And uh, that can really begin to shape the product going forward, because you may find that you, you know, these are things are what they taught us in science class in fourth grade, you know, create a hypothesis. And that's kind of what you're doing. And then, and then you're testing it. And the thing is, is if you're wrong, you're wrong, like get past it. Uh, I, I'm going to keep impressing the ego thing, because I think you hit a very, very powerful thing. Because uh, often as founders in an early stage, you know, we have this vision and it's hard for us to deviate from it because we don't want to admit we're wrong or we just think it's something different. But in the end, you build it for the users, you build it for the people that are going to pay for it. Other, If you don't, it's just a hobby because no one's going to use it or you or it's only going to be you that uses it. So once again, <laughs> with me today, I've got Marcelo. I've got Marcelo Russo. He's the COO and creative technologist at QRoom. Go to QRoom.biz. There's a link in the show notes to learn more about him. Today's episode of the show is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. We're talking about building MVPs and how to create a great one. So, you know, one of the things, Marcelo, that I've become really obsessed with is onboarding. And I and if I had to go back and I, I currently have no desire to build a new software venture myself, I, I prefer helping other people uh, scale theirs at this point. But uh, I think one of the, the most important things if you want to get these metrics up is if it's difficult to sign up or to sign in to your MVP, no one's going to get in it. 
Yeah, and 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 you're you're talking about one of those fantastic dichotomies on on what we and we were just talking before, right? Get the most information you can so you can properly validate your idea while not bothering the users. You need them to go lightning <laughs> fast. They need to be on the yeah. application. They need to be yesterday. Um, so there, there are several different little things that can be done. There are great tools that leverage uh, aggregated features from the internet and from the user behavior to, to create forms that require little information and they aggregate it for you. And then you laterally obtain that information. But also on the other hand, if you need a lot of that information, that goes to your particular hypothesis. And, and we were talking a little bit before about the user personas. And with the, with the acronym MAT for the minimum awesome product, right? Uh, I, I look to map the value of everything that we are analyzing in our hypothesis. And the best way to iterate is understand, okay, if this is the point where I failed with this hypothesis. This was the variable, the value that was wrong, and I'm going to tweak it and see what's the new hypothesis that is being generated. And mapping a particular value from a user persona, if we think that we need to know how many dogs a person have when you are building a software as a service to, um, to give you video recommendations, well, that's your current hypothesis. How are you going to validate it? And if you need to ask that as a question and that becomes a threshold, a barrier, a drop-off, then you're already getting the answer. Maybe your hypothesis of needing the information of the user is wrong because they are telling you, I don't consider valuable for me to give you this information because you're not going to give me that return. And that's where you ask the question, how do I give you the value or how do I live without it? Yeah, there's a there's a couple little tricks I've learned along the way too. So you look at something like it's uh, a lot of times, whether it's a web app, mobile app or whatever, uh, we often want to ask people what their address is. And the very last bottom right field is zip code. Um, I learned if you ask that first, you can actually satisfy about a whole lot of other fields. You know someone's time zone, you know their city, you know their, uh, you know their area code, uh, you know their currency. You got a whole lot of different stuff in there. So sometimes if you position things, you have to think a little differently. Because like I said, it's easy to just want to put an address form in there. I'm, I'm not going to mail you anything. So I don't need all that. But sometimes we want to collect that info anyway. But like I said, if you give a little thoughtful purpose into what you're asking for, like I said, it can oftentimes fill in a whole lot of other stuff so you don't have to re-ask. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, those are just the, some of the simple things. And then there's like a gazillion tools out there that let people sign into your app just with one click of a button. And I think that those are the ones that, you know, that just the, oh, that little, you know, one-time authentication, Google, Facebook, whatever it is. I think that the easier you make it for people to sign up and sign in, the more signups and sign-ins you're going to get. Is that what you find with the stuff that you've been building for clients? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's a proliferation of different applications that do the one click from the single sign on with Google and Facebook for um, cl one click purchases from Amazon. Um, recently, uh, Fast Company, uh, well, Fast Company is a company actually, sorry guys, Fast, the, it's a company that gives one click checkout for people, has got to market and it's fantastic too. Um, so 
the one click is one end of it uh, of the spectrum. Uh, but you were mentioning that there, there's also a lot of items that can happen and a lot of information that can be gathered after the fact. Just by asking for one particular information, then your backend can do all the magic and give you the information. And, and one of the things that has been really, really prominent in the last COVID year was everything has to do with no code and low code. Fantastic tools like one of the ones that we use, which is Webflow, um, gives you an easy access to the front ends. We, the Bubble is a tool to create no-code backends. Sapier creates the integrations and the glue that sends information. So from that point of view, not everything is manpower. Not, not everything is, uh, is development power that you need. Sometimes you just need to sit down and research the information that you want and make sure that you can connect it. If I get the zip code, you don't need to necessarily go and do the implementation of uh, Google Maps. So you get a fantastic autocomplete. Maybe, as you were saying, Matt, you get the zip code, you store it, and then you do the, the business intelligence yourself by using that information and connecting it with something else. Yeah, and you, you, were, you were mentioned. You, you were mentioning well. So you were mentioning low code, and you, I'm glad you mentioned Zapier because Zapier is probably most of most quote tech people's first interaction with the true low code. So low, and that, and I want I'm seg, I want to seg this into like buy or build because I you know so much about creating an MVP is about not overbuilding and every I you know I think we'd be remiss if if, if we didn't bring this up, but everything that you do you you can put together a franken app of sorts you know like things that are just like when i say buy versus build like i'll give you an example like typeform is something i've been using go to typeform.com i have no affiliation with typeform i just like their data collection and it's an easy user interface that i don't have to develop you know and i can change it on the fly and a, a lot of that um, and that's an example. And, and for, you know, uh, 50 bucks a month, I can get collect 10,000 forms. And if you're trying to build an MVP, you can piece a lot of these things together and plug them in that are still like Typeform collects data better, faster and, and connects to more things than I would want to build myself. So sometimes like it, that's OK. Um, now, in certain cases, you do want to make sure that what you're well, if what you're create if what you've created has no proprietary value to it at all, you're going to have to make it have some proprietary value if it's ever going to be worth anything. But your MVP doesn't have to be that way. It can, you know, if you can, any, I think anytime you can find something great to plug in and you get it to market faster, you cross put checkbox off and move it in. You know, like so when it comes to buy versus build, how do you begin to think about that, or what if, what are some things that you've used that are that are great? My first or Nick, I was I was laughing because I always try to put myself in the in the global perspective, right? And when you think that your idea is truly unique, we just gotta remember that we have how many? I think we are right now seven billion people in the planet. Seven and a yeah, half billion. It's probably not unique, yeah. Is, yeah. I'm, yeah, exactly. There's for sure at least one more person thinking about it. Um and one of the things that um in my, my past life, I, I was part of a, a committee to accept uh, startups inside an incubator. And that 
that also required us to do a lot of digging, right, on failed startups, on failed moments. And, and it's always the, there's this serendipity of the moment when you are doing it, right? You do it one year early, maybe you're too soon. You do it one year late, later, and there's already competition. Um, so humbling yourself to your idea is one, the first part. Well, the next one is just making sure that you're, you're hitting the idea where it needs to happen, right? You, you, you think of what needs to be done and how it needs to be done. And you, you choose your constraints, um, budgetary, I mean, buy or build normally, if you buy it, you need to pay for it, paying for it, increase your basic cost of your startup. Um, but definitely building it, it's will last for you. So normally circling back to our experience with several entrepreneurs has, has to be, is this what you're outsourcing your propri proprietary technology? Is this what going to, you're going to put a patent on it in, in a few years because you got your unicorn right here. And one of the, one of the great ways of conversation I use is, uh, is a Socratic method that my, my business coach told me and is like, if you think that's your proprietary idea, would you put those $20,000 to, or, or more to trademark it? So nobody steals it. If you are hesitant, maybe that's not your proprietary idea. And as you were saying, maybe, maybe that's the part where, um, people need to think, how can I make this about the value that I'm providing? If not, sure, let's go buy it. Let's go build it fast. There's probably the other side, some other portion of what you want to build is your proprietary idea is that thing that you don't want people to steal or replicate. Yeah. And then, and so I'll get, uh, I'll throw this into context and I use the example of type form. So like 50 bucks a month, 10,000 forms. I use that now for onboarding into the proprietary system that full scale uses to manage 220 developers worldwide and our clients and all that, that part I care about the forms on the way in. Oh man, that's done a long time ago. So for 50 bucks a month, like that's difficult to build it better, faster, or cheaper than that. And also I don't even get 10,000 forms in like, so for 50 bucks a month, I'll, I'll let that part and it still connects to the rest of our platform or database, all that. So for 50 bucks a month, I'm perfectly happy paying that. So we can then put our development resources on other things that are a little more important, that are a little more germane to the, to the business that we're doing and the things that are in fact, the things we do really care about controlling a data collection form, not being one of them. You know, like, like I said, and that's that these are little things and, and we're well past MVP. So sometimes I mean, you can always look at the buy versus build like and, and I think that like you said, I'm so happy you said that. Look, folks, your idea isn't the first and it probably isn't unique. And I'm not trying to sound like a shithead when I say that, but there's almost 8 billion people on the planet that maybe seven, eight. I don't know. I don't think anybody knows anymore. But, you know, the, but with that, some there, I say this a lot because people show up and they're like, hey, I don't have any competition. Either you're wrong about that or you probably or there's no market for it, because if there's a market for it, someone's probably out there doing it here in 2021. Truly unique, fresh, un uncompetitive ideas. I mean, 
Okay, now 20 years ago in software, those are a lot easier because a lot because people hadn't done all of it. But man, there's it's out there, it's everywhere. So if you think you don't have any competition, I, I want to really, really encourage you to look harder. Um, and if you look and 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 you can't find anyone, call me because then I'll back you. But I, you know, it's it's tough to find find new fresh ideas. So so all right. So when it comes to like an MVP and all this, let's say I come to Q Room and I'm saying, hey, I've got I've got this this unique idea. Uh, do you do you work helping people figure out if it is unique or how to make it unique or sometimes delivering them the bad news that it isn't? Yeah, I'm. So luckily, I have two other co-founders that they are a little bit more lenient than I am with the analysis of the idea. My background in IT and, and my experience um, letting companies inside accelerator programs um, makes me have that <laughs> six, uh, I call it the spider sense. You know, it's like I, whenever I'm hearing a founder talk or, or I hear the idea, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to, to still be around in the circles with, with a lot of, of VCs and and I hear what they are what the pitches that they are receiving and helping them validate technical ideas. So it's very likely that I've heard something similar or in the in the same space or in the same realm. And as you were saying, Matt, it's it's very very rare the moment when you find that truly unique transcendent idea. It's a lot more about um, the personality of the entrepreneur, the space that he has experience with, and in the end, I'm the guy that tells them, yes, the, your idea has not necessarily the value that you're expecting. But there's a lot of uh, moments where Qroom has done investment in different companies in different capacities because the idea and the entrepreneur are there and they need just some refinement. They need that initial hypothesis. So we, we are from, from Latin America and one of my goals in life is to democratize a little bit more the access to American capital to the LATAM companies. So there's a lot of great ideas and great talent um, that are ready to change the world in many, many aspects. But sometimes the impact is not for the U.S. Sometimes the impact is for Latin American countries or Latin American economies. And understanding how uh, a company like Euroom can partner with them and help them grow we become their advisors, we become their initial funders, we become their lead investors, whatever, whatever sometimes it's needed. Um, personally, I enjoy a lot being, being in their advisory board because that's the place where the founder becomes vulnerable. If you generate that relationship of trust, we have a lot of those conversations as we were having about ego, um, about where is the market and how to tap that market that they want to find. And I get to help them grow. I get get to be able to tell them, look, this is my experience. This is how we can do it. But then go validate more. Validate with other people. I'm, I'm not the source of truth by any mean, uh, but I just have experience. Go go validate it for yourself. This is an idea on how to do it. Yeah, I think my last comment on the unique thing is if you do have a truly unique idea, it won't stay unique for long if it's any good. Uh, I wrote about that oh, in Million Dollar Bedroom. It, I mean, if you're if you're even remotely successful, you've sent up a signal flare that's going to attract competition, and and that gets moving really fast. 
Um, you know, and, and that's it really, a perfect uh, circle so, with yeah. with yeah. the MVP. Yeah, because right now between no code, low code, the experience of different companies, the democratization of access to technology, the democratization of access to capital. Right now, you used to have to go up and down Sand Hill Road in Silicon Valley to try to get some capital. Right now, you can just hop on Twitter, do a couple zooms, and get a few checks. So the access to capital has been extremely democratized over the last year and a half. And the speed at which your unique idea is becoming less unique is astounding. It's the moment where you need truly that MVP. You need truly those partners that know the no-code and low-code space and, and make sure that your unique idea gets to market fast, faster than well, it what's was your best, years ago. What's your best advice for getting it out fast? I mean, I know we've kind of talked about that for the last 35 minutes here, but, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it, you know, as we kind of, uh, we raced right through this episode and there's, uh, you know, we've done, and for those of you listening, we've got a couple other similar uh, related episodes. If you go back and look through the feed, some of it's more along the lines of designing and product roadmap and just stuff like kind of getting that first thing out there. But I mean, what what's it? Well, I, I'll give some advice first. And I think Nike said it best, just do it. You know, like uh, having having written three books, I find that a lot of people want to talk to me about writing books. They never want to talk about my books. They want to talk about writing books. And, uh, you know, I find that to be really interesting. And they're like, yeah, you know, I've been working on this for like 10 years, but I, I had this idea forever. What do I need to do to get started? I'm like, go home and write something. And just, you know, like, it. yeah, just start, the, just do it. The, and, yeah. I, I've been, my, this, this one hits close to home because I, I've been helping my wife launch her own business several times. And my wife, it's, I, I treat her in this, when, when we are working with it as a, as another entrepreneur in my ecosystem. And I, and for me, it's a very humbling experience because I need to balance letting her make the mistakes so she can learn versus, well, it's my wife. I don't want her to fail. <laughs> so the, the experience with it is there are so many tools you need, you need first and foremost, a circle of people that understand your idea and, and some people that are technically savvy to help you find the right tools to do it fast and validate fast. You don't need, do you need a, a super fancy website like the ones that we create with the animations and, and interactions and Lottie files? Well, maybe you don't for day one. You'll need it eventually. But your first one can be a simple social media post if you're selling something, connect it to Gumroad and just sell it. Try your sales pitch. Create, fake create your copy while talking to people and make sure that you practice that, that you send that to them. So that's definitely one of the, of the key things. It's like know the tools that you have at your disposal and just get out there. Just do it. Yeah. And that's the, uh, I think that's great advice too. And just a little reference, uh, you know, we have quite a few episodes about finding co-founders and working with people. Um, yeah, uh, you know, Marceau 15 years ago, I wanted to do it all alone 15 years later. Like if, you know, I'm glad to have co-founders. Um, and 
there's a lot to be said about not going at it alone and getting the right people around you. Sometimes just having a, you know, like working in pairs uh, just uh, often generates better results. And, you know, like that programmers to do that. You often hear programming pairs and people that are working with each other because um, sometimes it's easy to get too close to it. And, you know, it's like, so I remember once when I was uh, like 24 and I had been working at a place for a couple of years and I didn't get the, prom I didn't get promoted to be manager the way that I wanted. And I called my dad and I was really shitty about it. And he said, son, right now you feel like a door got slammed in your face because you need to take a step back and look around and make sure that you're not in a hallway full of open doors or other <laughs> doors to knock on. And that's that, but that's where the pairs and the others and, and someone else to solve problems with you. Um, finding someone that's good at the things that you're not good at, in my opinion, is the crucial part of that. Um, I don't know if I could work with another version of me, um, which is okay. Um, you know, I'm good at specific things like at full scale. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by fullscale.io. Go check out what we do and go to qroom.biz too. We do different stuff. So um, it's funny. Sometimes people are like, did I listen to your podcast today and your competitor was on? I was like, even if you did, <laughs> even if it was a competitor, it doesn't matter. There's so much meat on that bone. It doesn't, it, it's not a big deal, but um, you know, getting, you know, getting out there and, and doing it. Um, and another thing too, is like, and that's what both of our businesses are about, like being your technical partner in many ways. And um, Marcelo, much like myself, has worked with a ton of different businesses, which means you get kind of a bird, either a bird's eye or a front row, or sometimes just a general view of the things that they do well, the things that they don't do well, and you get a lot of inside track. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that's enabled us to have this remarkably high success rate with everyone we work out at full scale. And, you know, it's the same thing with, with you at Q room. And, you know, the thing is, it's like, you got to learn from these things and figure out when, where, who, and, and get a good, uh, you know, technical partner, whether that's a, a you know, a, a technical co-founder, or maybe if you're technical, find someone like me, I'm a non-technical founder. Okay. I'm great at selling stuff. I'm a hype man. I'm, I'm the guy that gets out there and just beats on doors all day and talks about it all day. That's typically not the personality style that a developer has. Maybe they are, but it's rare, right? So that's fine. So you focus on that. I focus on this and we get moving. And another thing I'll tell you is, um, especially over this last two years, as opposed to the prior, uh, investors don't like investing in solo founder companies um they really don't it's it, that's a that's a downgrade in your overall uh, value proposition to investors why because if something happens to you or you fizzle out or whatever well there goes everything else i i refer to that as the bus rule if you get hit by a bus we're screwed so you know you don't want you don't want to violate the bus rule but yeah. So, okay. So I end my episodes of Startup Hustle and I say my episodes, I'm not the only host of the show. If you listen regularly, you know that you can tune in on Tuesdays, learn all about e-commerce and Amazon brand acceleration from Marknology founder and CEO, Andrew Morgans. On Thursdays, we have a visit from Lauren Conaway, the founder and CEO of Innovate Her. 
Uh, she talks about all kinds of stuff. I don't even know how to how to to, to describe every all the topics that she tunes in for. Also, Lauren and I have been listing a new city's top startups about once a month. I say about once a month because Marcelo here on Startup Hustle, much like startups, we usually don't hit the goal and the timeline because things take longer and cost more than we usually think they do. But here on my shows, we do the founders freestyle. And that's how we end our shows. Uh, I would like to hear, you know, I know we've already given it, but um, you know, you know what, I'm going to go the other way. Usually we give the best advice. What's the one thing you should avoid the most? We're going to, we're going to turn this around today. We're going to, we're going to, my kids have been doing mix match day. It's like the opposite day. So like, we're going to go with the, the one thing you don't want to do the most when it comes to an MVP, uh, maybe your startup, all of it, but let's maybe MVP centric. What do you got? Whoa, that, that is a curveball. I know. Um, did you just, did you just go, th- did you just go through like a mental list? Did it, was it yeah. like, was it like when Neo got plugged into the matrix and then new Kung Fu, you're like, I just saw 10,000 things. Which one? <laughs> because it's a, there, there's so many, so many things to avoid in, in, in each area of what you're building of your MVP that sometimes selecting just one becomes a little bit problematic, but I think that I'm going to go with what actually just happened in my mind. You have a list of things that you shouldn't do. I think that you don't need to get boggled with the many, many, many things that you don't need to do. What is your one priority? If you start anything without your one priority, you're bound to go somewhere else that you don't want to be. So whether it's your MVP, your company, your business, your tool selection, your co-founder selection, your venture capital selection, you need to always have the one thing that is non-negotiable. Start without that. And don't don't get overwhelmed is what I heard. Also, don't get overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's there's always going to be something to do. I mean, it's never done. Um, And that's, you know, you mentioned earlier, you were talking about Facebook and it made me think about the social network. And there's that one scene where Eduardo asks Zuckerberg, he's like, well, is it done? He's like, it's never going to be done. Um, And I'm going to use that, that your advice and I'm going to parlay and I'm going to say don't overbuild. Um, which is, you know, like is the thing that I think, think the reason an MVP even exists, uh, look, like I said, you're going to look back at it and you're going to be like, oh my God, I can't believe we released that, but you'll be happy that you got it out there, but don't overbuild. Like mean, meaning the same way as what Marcelo said, but a little, a little twist. It's like, don't, you know, there's a zillion things that you may, you can and may build later, but don't worry about them right now. You know, focus on. Uh, on doing one thing, you should be a plus at one thing uh, before you're really like, I see founders make this mistake a lot. And the, the, you know, I'll get a call sometimes and be like, Hey man, can I run this by you? I'm trying to figure out why this isn't going the way I want. And I, I swear 95% of the time it's because they're trying to be good at six things before they're good at one. And that's that overwhelming thing. Like there's this sea of check boxes that are always going to need to be finished. So if it doesn't gain you user, if it doesn't get you users, get you revenue or keep the ones that you have, it shouldn't be a priority, especially in the beginning. And Is exactly, that fair? We can, we, can, we can close the idea with the ego, right? It's like that one, you add more things to your MVP, the more that you yeah. feel 
that your MVP will not live up to what you are. And you're not your yeah. MVP. You're not your company. You're great. Well, you're trying you're to build great. something bigger than yourself. You need, it needs to be bigger than you. Like a company can't just be you. It has to be something that is way bigger than you. If it's ever going to really, truly like be what most founders are trying to build. And that's the thing. So if you look at it, it I, I ask myself a lot, I'm like, what does this need to do to be bigger than me? Like it can't just rely on me because I'm not always going to be here. That's the, right. that's the stark reality of it. So, you know, try to, you know, I, I, I think an, another thing too, and it's, you know, it's like, we, and I'll kind of throw one more in here. I know we said one, but I, <laughs> I, I want to go back. I just really think you nailed it right in the beginning of the show when you said the ego, like put it in check, like be open to the feedback. Don't argue with the people that are giving you feedback. That, that's not, that's not how that's designed. Listen to it accept it and make an improvement or don't it is what it is but it, i see a lot of people trying to argue with those that are giving them feedback and it's like they want to prove why they're like why they're right and the person giving feedback is wrong that's the number one way to get people to not give you feedback is to give them shit about the feedback that they give you be humble and thank them because look at this point your product's probably pretty shitty you shouldn't be running. You shouldn't be pushing people out of it. Thank people for the feedback and take it into consideration. And, and with that, remember, you don't have to chase every single thing. Listen for the echo. Look for the things that people are asking for. By the way, it was my book author that taught me listen to the echo. That's actually a writing technique because when you write an entire book, you know, two, 300 pages, it's easy. To, you have these verbal texts. We do it here on the start on the show too. Sometimes I, I listen to go back and re-listen to these because you say things or do things that are repetitive and they, and they really stand out. Uh, you know, like one of the things was, uh, you know, that being said, you know, was one of the <laughs> things that my book editor like slapped out of me. He's like, you said this like 40 times in the book. So that's an echo. And that echo, well, here's the thing, though, is an echo is a precursor to that repetitive loop of something that drives someone crazy. So there's a million reasons, uh, I, and I didn't even share this. Rule one of building software for me is answering this question. Is this annoying? And if the answer is not a definitive no, then you got to get back to the drawing board because you can have the greatest thing in the world, but if it's annoying, people won't use it. So probably should have started the show with that. But for those that kept listening, there you go. There's a gem at the end. Marcelo, I got to get out of here and I'm sure it's a beautiful day in Miami. So I don't want to keep you from the beach or whatever it is that you have planned for the rest of the day. Go to qroom.biz. There's a link in the show notes. Check out our new video series on the YouTube. Just go and type in Start a Puzzle in the search bar. I'll see you all down the road. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.